0: Well, good morning. This is second service. Good morning. morning. All right. You didn't sleep in enough. Maybe you need more sleep. Um, Well, let's uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 13, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. It's going to be our passage for this morning. I'm excited about uh, just the beauty of God's word and um, what I hope we'll, we'll be able to look at this morning. Uh, let me pray for, for our time together, and we'll also lift up the McCulloughs in prayer as well. Join me uh, as you turn there. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can come, worshiping you, enjoying you this morning, just basking in all of the goodness that is ours through you and through Christ. Lord, we are the recipients of of just such an amazing, an amazing goodness All that is bound up in the gospel, all that is ours in this good news, Lord, we receive from you this morning. We give you thanks for your love for us. Thank you that you are so kind to us. Thank you that you open eyes and you change hearts so that we can see and behold and treasure your glory. And that's our our prayer for this morning, Lord, that during our time we would just, just behold you. Sit at your feet as we hear your words spoken, the very words that Jesus spoke, and receive all that you would have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that all that we do learn, all that we do gain from this time would just would be empowered by your Holy Spirit, and that your Spirit would, would continue that work that you've begun in us. Now we pray for the McCulloughs, Lord. We thank you for the work that you are doing, not only here at Cornerstone, but across the world. Thank you that you're taking these missionaries, our brothers, our brother and sister, and, and you're taking them to Indonesia to serve you where others can hear about the glories of the gospel. We just pray for all that they're doing and endeavoring to do. We pray that through it all, you would be glorified and magnified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew thirteen forty four. If you want to give a title to the message, Treasuring God is the theme for this morning. Treasuring God. This week I had just an amazing uh, parenting moment, a, a moment that every parent, I think, prays for and just enjoys when they get it. And it's really a gift from God when you do get a moment like this. And I was uh, after Iwana, my son came home and he came into my office and um, we began to talk. And uh, just just in talking and in, in sharing his heart, he began to cry um, As he as he just poured out his heart to me and he shared, Dad, I, you know, we had been talking about this passage about treasuring Christ, the theme of treasuring Christ. like we're going to look at this morning. And he was he was telling me, Dad, I, I want to treasure Christ. I love Jesus, but I also love these other things. And he began to list off some of the things that he does love and that have been treasures in his heart. And as I as I just listened to him, I, I praised God in the work that God was doing, there, it, there, was a, there was a work going on right in front of me in that office as, he, as God was moving in his heart to show him that God is a treasure and that God is to be treasured and that inside of, of the experience of all that God is and all God has for us, there is tremendous, tremendous blessing. And I could hear the battle going on in his heart to let go of the things that are calling for his attention and to put all of his hope, all of his heart, into... The Lord, Um, and you know, we just kept talking. I, I, I I just wanted, you know, I'm not as good a storyteller as Jesus, and the story he tells us this morning is going to be amazing. But I tried to just, just, just minister to his heart, uh, and and at his age, I just, I just started talking about uh, an amusement park, and I said, you know. it's been a while since we've been to an amusement park, but I said, you'd love to go to Disneyland or Legoland. And he said, yes, I, I would love to do that. And I said, what if you, you got there and, you know, we, and we pull in the parking lot? Um, what would you do the minute that we pulled in? And he said, I'd want to get out of the car and go and, and enjoy the, the amusement park. And I said, well, what, what you're describing in the battle that we all go through is that we, we tend to want to just stay in the parking lot. And... We, we find a man, kind of a street guy, with a, was pushing a shopping cart. and He's selling these cheap little hats with lights on them and other things that break, little trinkets that break so easily. And we're so enamored with those things that we, we just are content to stay in this parking lot. Instead of going in and being ushered into the full enjoyment of all that is waiting for us inside of that place has been established for our joy and for our benefit. And he, that made sense to him. And, and, and that was my goal, to just show him that, that Christ is such a better treasure. And that in treasuring him, there's such blessing waiting for us. And that's Jesus' goal in this passage. That's Jesus' goal. In fact, the context in which we find ourselves when we get to Matthew 13 is very pivotal. It's very interesting. In chapter 12, the religious leaders, as representatives of the Jewish people, had had officially rejected jesus here's jesus and it's fascinating three times in chapter 12 jesus says something greater than blank is here something greater than the temple is in front of you something better or greater than um, jonah the prophet is in front of you something better is is before you something greater than solomon is in your presence. What Jesus was trying to do in his earthly ministry is is he was saying, I have come down. The treasure from heaven, the very king, has come and is in your presence. And you are being faced, you are being brought face to face with the greatest treasure. And instead of recognizing him as that treasure, unable to do what only they could do by his grace, they rejected him. In fact, this is where they began to conspire to destroy him. It says in verse 14. And instead of recognizing him as the son of God, the treasure coming down from heaven, they accuse him of being the son of the devil. And so Jesus is, he begins to teach in parables. He begins to explain more of who he is, more of what he is bringing down through his kingdom so that people will see him for who he is. They, they'll see that he's a treasure to be treasured and valued and enjoyed And that's the goal of this morning, is to stare at this parable. It's one verse, and this is so amazing. It's like, you know, when you go to a junkyard and you see an old car just crushed to a cube, you know, one foot, one square cube, or one cubic foot of, of, of metal. Jesus is able to take so much truth, as we're going to see, and pack it into one verse. And so let's read that verse together, and let's begin to see all that Jesus wants us to see in this passage. The kingdom of heaven... Jesus says, "It's like a treasure that a man found, or sorry, it's a treasure that was hidden in a field that a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field." Jesus, in this parable, wants us to see him as treasure, and he wants us to understand some truths about treasuring God. And so that's what we're going to look at. Six truths about treasuring God. And the goal is that we'll see the beauty of, of God, that He is the greatest treasure, and that we'll see all that awaits us, the blessing that's ours, and the full experience of treasuring Him. Well, let's look at the first point that we can observe in the passage, and that is that God is a treasure. God is a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. God is a treasure now some of you may be asking well if God is the treasure why does Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure He seems to be talking about the kingdom of heaven not himself well my answer to that is the kingdom of heaven was Matthew's language for talking about the kingdom of God the kingdom that had as its center as its nuclear core the very king the creator God himself and what. What Jesus is describing here in talking about the kingdom of heaven is he's talking about all that God is, all that he accomplishes, all that he establishes, all that emanates from him and that is enjoyed inside of the experience of being with him and in him. And so the kingdom of heaven is is not just the king, but it's all that comes from him. It's going to be the full experience of perfect relationship, relationships. It's going to be the perfect experience of, of, of all pleasure, of everything that we've longed for. That, that's all perfect government. Perfect everything. You fill in the blank. Perfect whatever. That is the kingdom of heaven. And at the very center, it is the king. You remove God from the kingdom of heaven, you have nothing. But from God emanates so much. And, and Jesus says, inside of that, in that, is, is a treasure. And at the very center of that is the greatest treasure, and that is God himself. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to see him as a treasure. He wants us to see him. And when we think of him from this passage, we ought to think about God as a treasure. We can, we can think and rightly do, we rightly do think about God when we think about him as a creator or as a savior or as a Lord. And he's all of those things, but he is also a treasure. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that by being a treasure, he's describing himself as something that is very, very valuable. And even as we think about him as creator, even as we think about him as savior and as Lord, we ought to think of how those, those understandings of him have to do with him being valuable and a treasure. God created us so that we would treasure him, that we would get, come into the full experience of all that He is and all that He does. Even as Savior, Jesus died on the cross to bring us into relationship with the greatest treasure. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. So all of redemption, the gospel, is God at work through Christ to bring us into the full experience of Him as treasure. Even as Lord, do we see... God as Lord, a taskmaster who makes life miserable, and we've we got to obey, we've got to do what He says, He says do this, we've got to do it? Or is He a Lord, is He uh, this amazing master over this amazing kingdom who we get to serve and enjoy? We learn from Him, we're, we're provided for by Him, we, we come underneath all of His protection, all of His power, all of His sovereignty, and that's the Lord who we worship, this, this Lord who is our treasure. So, Jesus, when you see this passage, as we begin to unfold the story... He's likening Himself. He's likening, likening the, the kingdom of which He's the center. He's likening it to a treasure. Jesus is a treasure. Not only is He a treasure, but He is the ultimate treasure. He is the greatest treasure. And really, I'm just realizing more and more that every treasure, everything that we experience here, everything we value here and now is just pointing to the greatest treasure. It's just a symbol. It's just a fleeting experience. Just a reminder That what is coming, what we were made for, what we have in our relationship with Christ, all that he is, all that he's doing, the full experience of all that, that is the greatest treasure. That's what we were made for. Many of us treasure possessions. We're materialistic people. We love things. And yet Jesus is the greatest possession. All these things that we love, whether it's vehicles or computers or this or that, these things, they're, they're dying, they're breaking, but, but Jesus is that enduring possession that we'll have forever. Many of us, are, are, we, we treasure experiences, pleasure. We're pleasure seekers, thrill seekers, experience seekers, and we're looking for that experience. Jesus, inside of him, is the ultimate experience. We can't even fully experience him now. We, we need a glorified body to do that. It's too overwhelming, too too enjoyable, too, too stimulating. We, we, it would kill us. Many of us, we, we're, we're, we're after position, we're after titles, we're after fame or whatever. And, and Jesus is the greatest position as his son or his daughter, his heir. And so all these things are, are, are pointers, even relationships. Many of us, we treasure relationships, whether it's our spouse or friends or whatever, our parents or our children. And these relationships simply point to the relationship that is perfect. When, when relationships end, when they let us down, when people sin against us, it's a reminder that we were made for something greater. A greater treasure exists beyond the things that we put our hope in, beyond the things that we value. There is something even more valuable. And that makes sense because God is this infinite personal being. Everything else that we experience is is the creation. It's something that exists as sustained by the very act of God, the very, the very word of God. And God, those are the things we treasure. And so how much more amazing is the one who holds all that together, that brought all that into being, that enabled us to experience those things? God is infinitely valuable because he is this infinite transcendent being. And his value is inexhaustible. All these things that we pursue, treasures, they end. They, they have their limits. God is limitless in his value and in his pleasure and in his goodness. And in his and, and he's also incomprehensible. I don't think we fully understand yet just how much of a treasure he is. And so God, when when we see this parable, we're we're being brought into this this theme of seeing God as a treasure. He's a treasure hidden in a field which a man found. Notice the second truth in this passage. God is to be treasured. And This should be obvious, but I just want to talk about it a little bit. God is to be treasured. The whole point of the passage is that God longs to be valued by you. God longs to be desired by you. God longs for you to delight in him. God wants for you to love him. And that's what treasuring God is. Treasuring God is loving God. The greatest commandment that there is, love God with all your heart, all your your mind, all your soul. That's, that is, that's treasuring God. Treasure God with all of your being. That's what we were made for. To desire God, to delight in Him. Listen to the psalmist. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. He's my inheritance. He's my treasure forever. Even the psalmist goes on. Uh, as, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What God wants us to see is that the treasure we've been longing for, that which we were made for, is Him. And He is to be treasured. And, and that means, at, 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 the, at, at, at its very core, that means that God wants all of our heart to long for and desire and pursue and find as its satisfaction Him, His person. God just doesn't want to be admired. He wants to be desired and delighted in. And that's what treasuring God means. And God is to be treasured because treasuring God glorifies God. Treasuring God glorifies God. We glorify what we treasure. If you treasure the Dodgers, you glorify the Dodgers. You talk about them all the time, you enjoy them, you make much of them, you value them, you delight in them, you you receive so much from the Dodgers. You talk you, you, you plaster things about them all over you know, your car or your room or whatever. And this glorifies the Dodgers. This exalts the Dodgers. It shows that they're valuable to you and that they bring you this delight and this joy. And that's what God longs for. He longs to be treasured. And that's what glorifies Him. I think when we think of glorifying God, when we think of worshiping God, we make a a very deadly mistake. And that is to simply think or move to, to just thinking about glorifying God or thinking about worshiping God or loving God as just what we give Him. I come to God in order to give Him something. The, the more humble, the more biblical view is that we first logically come to God in order to get. And that's what this whole, the point of this passage is. This man found a treasure. The whole point of him finding it was to enjoy it. He found it. The purpose of the treasure was to be enjoyed, to be delighted in, to be desired, to be loved, to be treasured. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want from you. This is what I long for, for you to desire me, to treasure me. This is what glorifies me. This is worship. It's first receiving all that God is, the full experience of his being, his person, and his work. And then out of that comes a response. What we normally sometimes move towards in thinking about worship is the responding that comes from the getting, that that, desiring, that desire that we have for him, that receiving of him, that enjoyment of him. That gives birth to This praising of Him and this exalting of Him and this making much of Him. And so to glorify God, to worship Him is both receiving first from Him and then giving back to Him. In fact, we see this in 1 John. We love Him. We give Him something only because we have received something first because He loved us. God gives us His love. He gave us His love. We received that. We enjoyed that. That blew us away. And out of that comes this responding, this loving Him back. God doesn't need anything from us. What He wants is for us to get everything that we were created for from Him and then to respond in giving Him praise and honor and worship and glorifying Him. And God will, will, will accept nothing less. I think what we end up doing is we, we dumb down these definitions. And I'm guilty of this. I think we're all guilty of this. We dumb down these definitions uh, where loving God worshiping God, or glorifying God is just what we do. It's what we bring to God. And so, you know, we think of it as duty uh, instead of desire and delighting in God. We think of what can we do for God. And God wants to make it very clear when it comes to loving Him, when it comes to treasuring Him, there is both these intense feelings that need to be there. It's all about the heart at the end of the day. And then out of that comes these actions that flow out. So to love God, to treasure Him is first to feel very intense feelings and what Jonathan Edwards called these spiritual affections, these affections of the heart toward Him. And then, and then to, 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 to allow those feelings for Him to give birth to action and intense responses to him, toward Him. Jesus says it's possible to do things for Him and not love Him. And Jesus, I think, is very clear in, some, in, in His teachings, and the Bible is very clear, that we need both. We need a heart that's very close to God and that that fuels this this heart that desires God and loves God that fuels these actions. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There seems to be the keeping of commandments over here and sometimes that's what we say is love. To love is just obey God. But it's more than that. It, it, It seems like Jesus is saying, if you love me over here, if you have intense desire for me, if you treasure me, if you value me, if you delight in me, then you will keep my commandments. In fact, this is the greatest commandment you could be keeping, to value and treasure me. Jesus, or Paul seems to make a similar point. He says, you can, you can do all sorts of actions for God. You can, you can think you're worshiping God. You can think you can, you're, you're treasuring God by just what you do for Him, what you bring to Him. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What Paul is saying here, you can, you can be martyred for Christ, but if your heart is far away from Him, if you do not love Him, that's not true worship. That's, that's nothing. There's something missing in that definition of love. It's just the deed without the heart behind it, without that, that treasuring of God. In fact, we see this. And Jesus said, this is, this is what I'm seeing in much of you Pharisees. He called them hypocrites because the hypocrisy was claiming to have this inner love for God and, and say, this action represents this. What I'm doing for you, Lord, represents this love. And Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite because you don't have that love. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 15. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me. You can't worship God just by obeying him or doing things for him. You need to treasure him. You need to love him. What what this ultimately looks like is a heart that moves toward God and desires God more than anything else. And that's, I think, what, what, what God was talking about when he talked about David as being a man after his own heart. God wants your heart to want him more than anything else. In fact, notice, notice the rich young ruler. No, notice his question to Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 16. Teacher, what good deed must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Uh, just tell me what I got to do. I'll just do whatever you, you tell me to do in order to get this eternal life. If you would enter, Jesus says, then keep the commandments. And I think what Jesus is t- starting to get at is keep the greatest commandment of loving me with all your heart, giving me your heart. And he said, which ones do you want me to keep? And Jesus goes through the list of some of the Ten Commandments and the young man said, I've, I've done all that. I've kept all those. Jesus says, what you still lack is this. Go, if you would be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. What Jesus was calling that man to was not just another deed, not just another act of obedience. What he was calling him to was to, to take his heart out of the things that were, where, he, where he was finding his treasure and take his heart and put it into, in, into Christ to follow Christ, to pursue Christ, to enjoy Christ, to delight in Christ, to find his greatest treasure in Jesus. And, and Jesus tells him, you'll have, you'll have treasure in heaven. Follow me, make me your greatest treasure. And the man couldn't do that. He just wanted, he wanted a way to relate to God that was just apart from having to give him his heart. Lord, just tell me what I got to do for you. I think so often we do that. Lord, just, just, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do that, go to church, do this, do that, but don't ask for my heart. I will keep my heart over here and I will put my heart in whatever I want to put it in. So God is to be treasured. He, he will take nothing less than, than a heart that longs for him, that treasures him above all else and that out of that heart comes a life that responds and lives for him. Not just a heart that says, what do you want me to do? I'll do the tasks. I'll do the duties. I'll perform whatever you want me to perform so that, you know, we can be okay. There's a third truth here. And that is, God is not treasured as he should be. And we see this in the fact that the story, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. This treasure of God is hidden and many people, they don't find it. They don't see it. They don't treasure God the way they should be. And part of the reason that the treasure is hidden is because we have frankly buried God. We have sought to do away with him. We have seen his glory and we have buried him away. In fact, uh, God says, "My people have, in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Here's the treasure that they were made to drink from and to enjoy. And they have forsaken me. And then they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've, gone, they've, they've placed their heart into these, into these treasures that cannot give them what they were made for. And so here, this sin is, is, is pictured as forsaking In Romans 1, we see that sin is this exchanging. We've we've beheld the glory of God, his invisible attributes, those things that are manifest and clear to us. God is able to be seen in some way, but what we've done with that is we've said we we will silence that, we will exchange that, we will bury that away, we will hide that from ourselves, we will exchange the glory of God for a lie, we'll exchange the glory of God for an image of other things. And that's what we've done. And so sin isn't just, in this parable, sin isn't just failing. It's not just disbelieving Jesus. It's not just disobeying Jesus. Sin, really at the heart of it, is failing to treasure God and treasuring all these other things in His place. And so the the, the treasure is hidden from us. It's in a field hidden from us because we've buried it away. We've sought to, to forsake God, to despise Him, to reject Him, to exchange Him for something else. But not only that, I think there is this blindness that the scriptures do talk about. That There's a sense in which we cannot see the glory of God the way that we ought to see it. We are blind, and we're blind before God ever moves, and apart from His grace, we're blind. Even as believers, often we can have temporary blindness or short-sightedness. But 2 Corinthians talks about the heart being hardened or veiled and that this veil is removed only by God's grace. There's a veil that covers our eyes so that we cannot see the glory of God. It's right there in that field and we walk by it and we look at other things that so draw us away from that and it's hidden from us. And what we need is a miracle of God. In fact, sometimes we think if we could just see God's glory... Um, in some miraculous way, then we would treasure him. And I don't think that's the case. Satan is one example. He sees God. He's seen the manifestation of God's glory for thousands of years and he still does not value or treasure or delight in or desire God. Same thing with Israel. Here's the people of God in the Old Testament and even in the New, here in Matthew chapter 12, rejecting Christ. And they saw the Shekinah glory. They saw the manifestation of God's greatness, his beauty, the treasure that he was. And it wasn't enough. What we realize is that a miracle is required. A heart change is required. In fact, after the rich young ruler rejects Christ, there he is. He's standing before the treasure of all treasures and he cannot see Jesus. He cannot see that the one he's staring at is greater than anything he has. And when he walks away because he valued the other things that he had more than the treasure that was standing before him, the treasure that he was made for, Jesus says it's it's very hard for a man who has put his heart in these treasures over here and is rich with treasures to to be saved. And And then the disciples said, Who can be saved, Lord? And he said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Which leads us to this next point. Truth number four, that treasuring God comes only by his grace. God is a treasure, he's to be treasured, but we don't treasure him. In fact, we cannot treasure him the way that he he's calling to be treasured, with all of our heart. Because we need him to do a work. And it's impossible. That the treasure was hidden until it was found. And we know from the rest of the scriptures and from our theology that the only way that things are found, the only way that God is a treasure is ever found is by an act, a miraculous supernatural act of his grace. To open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, so that we, we may actually behold him. And that's exactly what happens. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found. And he covered it up because he didn't want to lose it. And then he, in his joy, he goes and begins selling all that he has to get it. This man. At one moment, he did not see the treasure. He did not treasure the treasure of all treasures. And now he sees it. and Not only sees it, but something is happening where he is desiring it and he is delighting in it. And it is producing joy and becoming something so precious to him that he that everything else that he has had pales in comparison. And he wants that treasure. And this is this is an act of God's grace. In fact, in Second Corinthians, in chapter four, in those in those passages where we read about the veil that is over our eyes. We read about that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. In this case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. But just a few verses later, it says, for God, for God, this same God who created the heavens and the earth in six days, this God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God. It's God who opens the heart and shows us the beauty, the glory of God, and the treasure that He is. And this is, this is a work of grace. It's ultimately a change in heart. What we need to realize, this is a picture of conversion that we're seeing in this parable. Here's a man who first, again, he doesn't treasure He doesn't treasure this treasure and now he does. He's found it by God's grace. And this is conversion. This is the beautiful doctrine of conversion. And and conversion isn't simply just a change in mind, a change in doctrine. It's not just a change in allegiance. You know, all of us, I think, would agree we need to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, right? We need to embrace him as a Savior who died for our sins and that's how we're saved, by faith in this Savior. And so we need to believe that. But it's, and some, some, some all, all of us would agree with that. Some people say, well, you need to embrace Jesus as Lord. And I would agree with that. And, and so it's not, you know, many of us would say, yes, it's a change in allegiance. We, we need to be a to God. And what conversion does is it changes not only our thinking and our mind to believe the truth about Jesus. It also enables us to submit to him as Lord of our life. But I would say that here in this picture, and in this parable, what we're seeing is that there's, there's this other element of conversion. That it's not just a change in doctrine in your mind. It's not just a change in allegiance. It's a change in heart that leads to the desire for God and treasuring God. What repentance is, according to this, is it's, it's leaving behind the treasures and faith is believing that Jesus and God are the ultimate treasures. And that's what we see the man do. As soon as there's the conversion, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. And what this is saying I mean, sorry, what this is not saying is that we somehow earn our salvation, that we somehow buy the kingdom of heaven. That's not what this is saying. This is what is what I would term the great transaction that only occurs by God's grace. And that is this change in heart where we withdraw our hope and our faith and our joy and our love. We withdraw our heart out of the treasures that have captivated us and we deposit our heart into the person of God. It's this selling in order to buy. It's this withdrawing our heart, saying this no longer is what, where my hope and my love and my faith are going to be. It's going to be in Christ. He is my treasure. And that's, this is the work of conversion. This is what God does. This is what only He can do. This is what I'm praying for my children that God would do in their lives and all those who don't know Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, this would be my prayer for you. That God would do what only He can do. That He would change your heart so that you're able... To treasure and delight in Him and enjoy Him and see Him for the treasure He is. Saving faith is this kind of faith that sees Jesus as treasure. In fact, John Piper says, Believing in Jesus is a coming to Jesus so as to find your heart hunger and your heart thirst satisfied. That's believing. Piper says, Therefore, I cannot separate saving faith from a heart satisfaction in Jesus as my treasure. I do not conceive of any Christian on planet Earth, he says, who says, I am saved by faith and Jesus is not my treasure. This is an oxymoron statement, he says. And so Jesus has to do this work. At the end of the day, we're humbled and we're desperate for Jesus to do that that change in our heart. So that we can treasure him truly and this treasuring God comes only by grace. There's another truth truth number five That treasuring God results in joy in God This change in heart that only God can do it actually leads to things it leads to this fruit It leads to this change of life and one of the fruits is joy Piper says conversion is the creation of new desires not just new duties new delights Not just new deeds, new treasures, not just new tasks. And one of the internal fruits of this kind of conversion, where God does this work in changing our hearts, is joy in Him. And joy really is the result of delighting in and desiring God. And notice the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covers it up only to protect it so that he can make that heart transaction and gain that field and possess it. And listen, notice what he does. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. It's joy that 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 he experienced. This is one of the fruits of treasuring Christ is this joy in Christ. This deep satisfaction, this deep contentment, this deep gladness and happiness that is rooted, not in general, it's not a joy in general, but it's a joy in the person of God. All that He is toward us and all that He is that we can enjoy and experience in Him. So it's a joy in God, but notice another thing about this joy. It's a joy that transcends circumstances. It enables us to do difficult things and to weather difficult times in life. Paul in Philippians 4, he talks about, I've, 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 I've discovered the secret of being content. And what I think that secret was is just one chapter prior where Paul was saying that he he counts everything as garbage in, in light of the surpassing value, the treasure that it is of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And when you have Jesus as your treasure, you can have contentment, even in the darkest hours of your life, even when horrible things have happened. And Paul, Paul exemplified this when he described himself as in those moments being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see, when our, when our joy is in, when our joy in things, when our joy is in people, and when that joy through disappointment or loss is dashed and that treasure is crum, crumbles, then our joy is gone and it disappears. But when our joy is rooted in the person of God, then that joy transcends and, and, and can continue. The experience of that joy endures no matter what we're going through. That doesn't mean that we're happy and glad uh, and kind of gleeful, bubbly people in dark moments. But that means that we can be broken, we can be sorrowful, we can be hurting, but at the very same time, we can still be holding on to the joy of knowing and being satisfied and finding our full treasure in God. And nothing can take that away. That's what Paul's talking about. That's the contentment, that's the joy that he had that that could... that, that could transcend these difficulties. Not only that, but it's a joy that actually fuels or propels us through life to live in amazing ways for the Lord. It's, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a joy. When, we, when, when God is our treasure and we're experiencing joy in Him, we can actually do anything. We, we, all doors are open to us. When my treasure is comfort, then many doors are closed to me. I'm not going to want to go around to the other part of the world to serve Christ and give away that comfort or these possessions. Whatever else is my treasure, then I go through life with many doors closed to me. But when God is my treasure and when I'm finding all of my joy in Him, then all doors are open and wherever God wants to take me, I'm okay. If God wants to take me into times of very little or in times of suffering, I can endure that. I can go through that because God is taking me through that. In fact, this is we see this in in Christ in Hebrews 12:2 it says for the joy set before him he endured the cross despising the shame. What God what got Jesus through the garden moment in Gethsemane and on into the cross and beyond was the joy he had, the joy that was rooted in his father that he modeled so perfectly for us. And when your joy is in God, when you're treasuring him, you can live radically for him. You can do things that you wouldn't be able to do if your joy was somewhere else if your treasure was in something else. So, treasuring God results in joying God. And here we see this. And then, in his joy, he goes and does what the world thinks is crazy, what it seems impossible to do. And that's to go and sell all that he has and buy that field. Now, again, what I don't think this is teaching is that we need to be minimalists, that we need to sell all that we have. Paul talked about in that secret, in that realization of contentment and joy in God. He could be content and joyful with having much and abundance and he could be joyful and find his treasure in Christ even when he had nothing. The point is not to become a minimalist and live in 300 square feet or do whatever you think is godly or righteous. That's not the point. Remember, it always comes back to the heart. You could have much and still have Christ as your treasure. You could have very, very little and, and you might still not be worshiping God. You still might be longing for things you don't have but there's your treasure somewhere over there and the dreams that you have. And The point is that 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 when Christ is our treasure, no matter what our circumstances, we we can we can find our joy and our full satisfaction in Him. Well, there's a final point, and I think it's the summary of of the entire parable, the teaching of the parable. Treasuring God means treasuring Him above all else, treasuring Him above all else. Now, you know, I don't want a sermon like this to to bring you down to say, man, I, I, that's not me. And I think when I began to study this passage, I, I was so convicted. That's so, many, so much of the time, that's not me. That's not where my treasure is. I'm not treasuring Christ the way he demands to be treasured. And I think there's two kinds of people. I think there's people who have never tasted that God is good. And, and they don't know him. All of what we're talking about is foreign. Their treasure is firmly rooted in the here and now. They're living for themselves, for their own glory, for the treasures that they pursue. They have no value in God. They don't see him clearly. They're blind to him. But there's a, there's a second kind of person. And, and that's most of us here this morning, I would trust. Those who have tasted that God is good. Those who have, by God's grace, seen the goodness and the, the, the treasure and the value of God. And, and, and you may be here this morning saying, man, I, I, Lord, I, I don't, I'm not loving you. I'm not treasuring you. I'm not delighting in you the way that I ought to. Here's what I would say to you. I would remind you that in this life, until we get to the other side of eternity, tre- treasuring him above all else is a fight. And we don't do it perfectly. And God knows that. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's, it's not a fight to perform. It's not a fight To work or obey. It's actually a fight to see and to believe in the the treasure that God is. in the glory that is Him. It's a fight to desire God. It's a fight to delight in Him. And what do we do when we don't feel this desire for God? What do we do when we don't feel this delight? That's often where we find ourselves. And I would tell you, I would give you these points, these encouragements. Number one, don't change your definitions Don't make worship or glorifying God or treasuring Him just acts as if you can do that in your willpower and then feel good about yourself. Keep the standard high and acknowledge God longs to be treasured in ways that often I am not meeting. And then repent of that. Feel broken over that. Say, Lord, I confess that. Lord, I am not treasuring you in this moment the way that you deserve to be treasured. And then pray. Remember that the work that God began in you, He is... He is continuing to do that and he will bring it to completion one day. Pray that that grace to change your heart, to create in you a heart that desires him and longs for him, delights in him, that he would do that, that he would ignite that that change in your heart and and grow that desire. We pray like David in Psalm 51, Lord, um, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me to see the joy and the treasure that you are so we pray during those times, we pray, and then we hope and we wait. Just like the psalmist in Psalm forty two, I will again praise you, Lord, and you I, I will hope, and I knew I will wait. We, we we wait like the psalmist, we wait patiently, we trust that that God will, will ignite these desires, He will grow them, and we put our hope not in our fruit, not not in ourselves, we don't look downward, but we continue to look at God whose work we need, whose whose power we need to change us. And in in the midst of those times we continue to rehearse his greatness. And behold his beauty, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so it is a fight. We're called to treasure God above all else. That's what we see in this parable. The selling of all things, the transferring of our heart into those things. And we know that in this lifetime, on this side of eternity, it is going to be a fight. We're still... We're dealing with our flesh. We're dealing with the world and we're dealing with Satan. We're dealing with our flesh that has in it that remnant of sin that does not want to desire. It. God wants to desire everything else. We have the world, the kingdom of the here and now that's saying treasure this, treasure this, treasure this, treasure this. We have Satan who's lying to us about God, trying to, trying to cover him back up and, 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 and not let us see his treasure, not let us see his glory and the value that he is. Or else he's accusing us, somehow making us feel that that we, we need to somehow relate to God in what we bring Him and earn favor from Him and just do these things that we need to do. In all of this, we need to fight. And we need to cry out to the Lord to do what only He can do. But it is going to be a fight till we die. But here's the blessing. Here's the encouragement. Here's where we ought to focus. That treasuring Him above all else is our destiny. That's where we're headed. That's where God is taking us. To one day treasure Him fully, perfectly, supremely. That's the work that God began. That's why He died on the cross. That's what He's accomplishing in your life and in mine. For those of us who know Him and are being called according to His purpose, His purpose is to finally take us and bring us into this glorified state where all of our being will want to desire and delight in Him. And there will be no part of us that does not want to do that. And I pray that that is your that you're, that you're hungering and thirsting for that in that sense I think we all want God to come back and establish that and glorify us so that there's no longer anything in us that would not treasure Him but one day that's going to happen and we can look to that day with hope and, and, the, and, and, and between now and then we'll, we, we just fight to continue to, to behold Him and to cry out to Him to do the work that only He can do Well, let's pray right now and just ask Him to do that Father, I thank you for this truth. I thank you f- that you are a treasure, that we were made to treasure you. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness that we and we confess right now that we don't treasure you. So often we don't treasure you as you deserve to be treasured. Lord, we, we also acknowledge in all humility, in all desperateness, that only through you can we be changed. Only through you can our heart be made to desire you and to delight in you and to find in you our full satisfaction and joy and treasure. Lord, do that work in our hearts. I pray for anyone here today who does not know you, who thinks of you not as a treasure, but as something that is to be despised or buried. I pray that you would reveal yourself to, the, to us and even those of us who know you, Lord. Show us your glory that we might behold you. Do that work in our hearts. Create that fruit in us, that joy in you. Help us to treasure you above all else. And thank you, Lord, that one day we will do that forever. We will enjoy you and delight in you and desire you with all of our heart. We praise you for that work that you have accomplished. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who made it all possible. Amen.